This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Matt Bauer. I'm the president of the Madison Avenue Business Improvement District, which represents all the businesses on Madison from 57th to 86th Street. And uh, what I love about retail is it's that gathering spot. You know, when you're in a store, you're with the community, you're meeting others, you're in a very social environment. And that marketplace has really always been the center of what makes a city great. And retail is where that happens. Hi, I'm Corey Schuster. I'm the co-head of the Faith and Soul team at Douglas Elliman Real Estate. I've done a lot of work on Madison Avenue. What I love about retail is the ability to reinvent yourself and being a part of you know retailers who can change their image on a dime and be more experiential and morph to the market. Three important words for the success of any physical retail business, location, location, and location. But not only is retail constantly evolving, so are the locations retailers depend on for traffic, infrastructure, and economic stability. What better example to explore this topic than one of the most famous retail corridors anywhere, Madison Avenue in New York City. Coming up, you'll hear from two experts from the real estate side and the retail business side in a roundtable about the past, present, and future of retail on Madison Avenue. From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. My name is Rebecca Fitz. Welcome to Retail Is Your Business. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Hansen. Hey, Rebecca. Uh, we have two amazing guests on today. We have Matt Bauer, who is the president of the Madison Avenue Business Improvement District. Welcome. Thank you. And we have Corey Schuster here from Douglas Elliman, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. So going to dive into the deep end of the pond. We're here today talking about Madison Avenue, um, such an exciting, exciting retail corridor. What makes Madison Avenue so special? And then, you know, we can we dig a little deeper there, but in your own words. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I very much appreciate it. Uh, you know, well, really what makes Madison Avenue special is that it is truly, though that you see so many major international fashion and jewelry brands there, it's still a local neighborhood shopping street. The majority of the people that you still see shopping on Madison Avenue live on the Upper East Side. Now, of course, we have five hotels in our district and lots of visitors. Still, what defines the avenue is the Upper East Side community and that relationship between the clients that shop on Madison Avenue and those who operate the stores is very special. And, you know, frankly, if you look up Look upstairs on Madison Avenue above 61st Street and you'll see residences. And that really what is different than you'll find in virtually any other luxury shopping district around the world where you see the actual shoppers living upstairs. And that's amazing. And I, I have to say, in just chatting with you prior to the show, I had a, a big learning curve about Madison Avenue. I'd love to hear a little bit from the, um, and I'm on the real estate side of the business, what makes Madison Avenue special and so attractive, I'm sure, to many, many potential tenants who see what it has to offer. I mean, Madison Avenue is iconic. Like, there's no other way to say it. 
you know, there are shopping streets in the world and you can go by city by city, you know, Bond Street in London and, you know, Champs-Élysées in Paris, you know, what have you. But Madison Avenue is, I say, one of the most iconic streets, if not the most iconic street for shopping, if not luxury shopping in New York, if not the U.S. For retailers, you hear about retail moving downtown, maybe moving uptown. But what you see on the avenue is that there is still the allure of having a Madison Avenue address. You know, whether you're putting that on your location page on your website or on the branding of your image, you will always have fashion houses who want to have that standout store on Madison Avenue because it's just it's iconic. Do you think that's changed? I mean, do you think that that becomes sort of this, this isn't throwing shade at all, like, <laughs> is it more of the vanity play of having that location as opposed to moving downtown? I mean, it almost seems comical in our age, and I live in Brooklyn, so anything above 23rd Street is a struggle for me. <laughs> um, but I mean, I feel like that's shifted over the past 20 years, where Brooklyn, literally 20 years ago mm -hmm. when I moved there was a joke. And you wouldn't put a luxury retail store in Brooklyn. You wouldn't put something downtown. Do you feel like that shift has happened and, and the Madison Avenue location becomes sort of the vanity plate? Or it's still what you describe, this this sort of, there's a real community there of shoppers and consumers. Well, your subway ride doesn't go above 23rd Street. I, I will tell you, it does, the, my walking, the walking population of the Upper East Side doesn't like to go below 57th Street. <laughs> this is so, very dynamic in New York. So, at, at, shockingly, there isn't a wall. Uh, but uh, There used to be on 42nd Street. Wasn't you know, there? there you go. There you go. The reservoir. Yeah, the reservoir right? was Exactly. The no, but, you know, there really is that, that identification. And, you know... When you look at the stores that are opening up on Madison Avenue in the most last few months, you'll read in those articles in WWD. They, why did they want to be there? Because they wanted to take advantage of that Upper East Side shopper. Mm -hmm. And that is the core of the luxury marketplace. There may be a lot of other places that brands may open up where they could get uh, folks that are aspirational mm -hmm. about luxury brands. But if you want to find the person and that, that's not just going to buy the handbag, mm -hmm. but buy the full collection, mm -hmm. spring, summer, and resort, <laughs> that person lives on the Upper East Side and is a local shopper and is the Madison Avenue shopper. So they are the true heart of that luxury consumer base. So... It's true that there are many other locations around the world and around the New York region where you could buy luxury, including even on the internet, shockingly. <laughs> uh, Madison Avenue still has that core group of local client that, and that wants that full collection. And that's what Madison Avenue has to offer. You know, there's been a lot that's been going on in retail. Um, even in what location you pick and just general disruption. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation today is because there are a couple fallacies out there and some of them you're breaking right now, which is I think people think, oh, you live and work in New York, but, you know, are you really shopping there? And that the Upper East Sider is actually shopping there is kind of interesting um, and that who is, is who the core audience is. Because I also think there's, you know, you think the Asian market, the tourists, the, our flood 
flooding up there, which I'm sure they are as well, um, which I think is interesting. There is also, and I don't think we're going to put this to bed, but I think it's interesting. You both probably have an interesting take on it that, oh, you're going to do a store on Madison Avenue. It's really, uh, you should go to your director of marketing and ask them for some dollars because I don't think Madison Avenue is about volume business, but um, that it's really a marketing play. Well, that that you know kind of leads into my point, which I was going to answer your question. It's an identity play too, a marketing identity play. I mean, the stores, if you think about the makeup of stores on Madison Avenue, there is the best branding opportunities you have there. I think Hermes is a great example of this. They're, they recently announced that they're going to be combining their women's store, which is iconic now, and their men's store across the street into a brand new 35,000 square foot massive you know retail experience, call it, because the pure marketing value of that they have full control over it. So you could do a pop-up, you could do a shop and shop, you could do, you know, you could be in Saks, you could be in Bergdorf's, but nothing will ever be being able to have full control over how you market your brands, how your store is laid out, what your front looks like, the windows you have. The true marketing opportunities is now becoming a play in retail and something that a lot of retailers are thinking about. Not only the in-store sales, it's that other aspect of how the store markets our brand and how they work together. The, you know, the best retailers in the world right now are successfully, you know, integrating their online sales and their online marketing platforms with social media, with direct-to-consumer kind of demographics. You know, you'll always the best way to you know interact with your consumer, with your buyer, is physically in the store. And now people are being able to leverage that data and use that to a whole new level. And that's why I still believe that the standalone store, Madison Avenue, where have you, is is always going to be a prominent thing to have in a brand. Just thinking about the demography of the Upper East Side shopper in terms of having like the their mind on resort wear. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't automatically go, oh, they're also on social media and, and thinking about influencers. Is that is that rapidly changing? I mean, do you guys see that that shift happening? And do you see it happening within the stores where experiential in in that particular location is becoming more important. Because when I think of that shopper, it's more the direct communication with the person behind the counter and, and having a relationship and having even a notebook of the person's name and their That's birthday. Right. Well, I, I'd say that that type of shopping has always been an experience. The experience itself has maybe changed or shifted with, you know, just as time goes by. But people buy luxury goods not only for the quality of the item and the prestige of the brand, but because when you buy something in a luxury store, when you buy it, you know, it's an experience. You, know, you get champagne. You, you really it's an all day experience. That's why you know, the shopping days, because it really is, you know, it's an experience. So the experiential factor of retail has changed. And maybe the demographic has changed as as the classic Madison Avenue shopper may have gotten older. But it's not to say that the experience factor, you know, that excitement of going shopping and 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 being in the area, you know, the iconic area of Madison Avenue with your stores lining the streets, you know, it doesn't say that that's not a factor anymore. The experience has changed, yeah, but I still think that experience will always be, a, you know, play a part. And it's how brands interact and, and kind of integrate their experiences as, you know, you're right, you know, it's a different shopper, maybe, but it's an experience nonetheless. And just to follow up on your question uh, as well, the, you know, the social media that you see that's generated by most of these international brands is not specific to any store. I mean, it's done quite often in a central location for the entire brand nationwide. So as you mentioned, the notion of communication with the book, uh, <laughs> with your client is really important. And I constantly hear the story not only of that 
New Yorker who's on the book, but the person who lives in Florida or lives in California who comes to New York four times for business a year. And when they come to New York for business, you know, they get that call from the store manager and saying, hey, the new XYZ jacket is here. Why don't you come on by? <laughs> so those relationships with clients is critically important. And it's such an important part of the whole retail world right now is getting and making sure that you have a staff that is well-versed in the brand, is able to make connections to their clients. It's not just sitting behind the counter and ringing a register. Right. It's that building those connections. And, and that's an important part of what, why the retail industry matters so much in New York City is that unlike a lot of other places where it is much more sitting behind that counter. Transactional, yeah. Transactional. Here it is relationship. Mm. And, you know, we need to, in New York, maintain that training, that uh, respect for the retail teams and why retail is such an important part of the New York City economy. And I, I have to say on clienteling, I've heard um, – you know, different parts of it. I think there is something really nice and maybe appeals to the Madison Avenue shopper of, um, you know, getting a thank you note. Um, but I do think the world is really also changing um, and that the little black book doesn't necessarily always come out. I might want to be texted that the new resort is in. Um, hopefully, um, you know, whoever the shopkeeper is and whoever, and I don't even want to call them a retail associate, a sales ambassador, Um you know, knows who they're communicating with and how they want to be communicated. And really, probably Madison Avenue is where we should be looking for the rest of retail on, you know, how to really do it right. Because you're right, it's it's seems much more relationship based. And we're clearing the air on Madison Avenue. A lot of fallacies going away <laughs> on it. I think one of the reasons also we want to have this conversation is really about the changes on Madison Avenue. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want to be hello darkness, my old friend on, you know, some of them, Barney's potentially leaving, you know, other people coming in. Let's speak freely about um, uh, the, the good and the bad that's happening right now. Well, maybe bad's too yeah. strong. No, of a no, no, no. I, I was trying to make a, uh, uh, try to make a sound of silence uh, <laughs> reference here, Paul Simon, uh, who lived, who grew up in my home neighborhood of Forest Hills, uh, as we discuss later. But um you know, it's true that Madison Avenue has not been immune to uh, the issues of vacancies and problems with retail. I can say that a number of the stores that have recently closed, it's not that they said, well, you know, we're picking up, we're closing up shop on Madison and going someplace else. The brands themselves are going through tumultuous changes. Let me give you two examples. Roberto Cavalli, which has been on Madison Avenue at 63rd Street, and I've been on Madison Avenue for over 20 years. They've been there for over 20 years. They've just gone bankrupt. Sonia Riquiel, which has been a staple on Madison Avenue, they just opened up a brand new store a year and a half ago. They have gone bankrupt. Calvin Klein, which was on the northwest corner of Madison Avenue and 60th Street, that was their Calvin Klein collection store. They discontinued the entire Calvin Klein collection brand. So, you know, that Madison Avenue as a as a representative of the luxury marketplace also represents a tumultuous experience of the retail industry and the fashion industry worldwide. You know, we have been hit by that. Uh, at the same time, 
as has been mentioned, there is an experience of musical chairs on Madison Avenue. And let me give you a couple of examples. Because of the changes in the economy and available space, we have a number of stores that were further uptown. Uptown for us, we go from, uh, from 57 to 86th Street, a mile and a half, the longest luxury shopping district in the United States. We have stores that have moved from the 70s or on the side streets onto Madison Avenue. Missoni, which was on 78th Street, is now between 61st and 62nd Street. Monique Lahoulier, which was on 71st Street, is now at 818 Madison Avenue in the 60s. Um, Morgan Le Fay, which was at 980 Madison Avenue, is now in the 700s on Madison Avenue. They moved south. So with these changes, uh, there has been there's been movement to different locations on Madison Avenue. A number of brands that are new to the street are starting to move into those spaces in the 70s. So brands like Lafayette 148, which just don't opened up. Ramey Brook, Brooke, I just mentioned Morgan yeah. Le Fay that moved from uptown to down. They moved into that mm-hmm. space, brand new to Madison Avenue. So there is... Um, through that musical chairs, there are actually new opportunities that are opening up. And uh, I think the property owners are being responsive to the market. And there has been a decline in rents. Uh, and there, uh, I think, will be uh, new things happening. And some great new deals that are happening from from online retailers <laughs> that are opening up on Madison Avenue. Just you wait. But um, <laughs> I think I, it's definitely a point to make is is the opportunity on Madison. And as Matthew said, I think it's it really is about opportunity. This, you know, the brands coming downtown is the best example of that. You know, maybe they want initially when they opened their stores, they wanted to be in those 60s and 70s blocks and, you know, just the rents were just too high. And now as they have come down um, and, and stabilized more, you know, those opportunities have kind of presented themselves. You have spaces that have been, you know, have been vacant for a while that have, are starting to see real traction. Byredo just announced, uh, the cosmetics firm just announced their opening at a 645 Madison, that massive old, uh, was it Ann Taylor? It was Ann Taylor, right where Ann Taylor was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Byredo's opening there. Mizzoni just moved. Moschino just opened where uh, Camper used to be. That's right. I just heard that there was an announcement of a deal at 635 where Philip Plen used to be, but I don't know who that is. They haven't announced just yet. But- there's a lot of opportunity and brands are taking it. I mean, the Balenciaga store they just opened um, at 620 where Bali used to be is insane. And so is Celine. I mean, you have these brands having these high profile locations because the opportunity is there and that they're able to do a true experiential retail and you know, space because, you know, with this change in Madison Avenue, opportunity has come. And so they've been able to seize that opportunity and really create something truly special. Well, it's definitely an opportunity for the brokerage industry. <laughs> definitely. I mean, yes and no. I mean, if you're if you're representing a space on Madison, we do represent space on Madison. It's definitely a challenge. I mean, you know, everyone reads the same papers, right? and you know, the same with the retailers. So whether it's people trying to come in and and you know have a great deal, which there are deals to be made on Madison Avenue, or it's it's you know. It's a it's a balance, especially on this avenue, because you have the prestige, the historical aspect of the value of this avenue that some landlords are hanging on to. And it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not a good thing. It's just it's something that is there. And it's my job to, you know, take their expectations and, and make them reality. And so we've been able to do a lot of transactions, you know, 
off Madison, on Madison the past couple of months. You know, we have some space on in the 50s and that block, you know, below 57th outside your zone, a little bit below 57th is still very, very strong. Um, you know, you're talking like 51st to or the, you know, really from the lot to the 57th Street. You know, that's a whole kind of, I think, it symbolizes a, a whole kind of market that's really expanding, which is men's fashion. We just signed a shoe retailer right on 53rd Street, a luxury kind of luxury, you know, men, men's shoes. And that whole market has exploded and the need for retailers is that way you now is in the same. The 57th Street to kind of 61st Street where you have, you know, the new Moschino, you have Celine, you have Balenciaga and you have Byredo opening. That area is still very strong. Tourneau announced they're opening at uh, what, 601. 601, where Armani was. I mean, they're going to they're gonna renovate, but like everything, it's going to be a huge experiential retail shop and it's going to be incredible. I mean... Yes, there has been closings, but as Matthew said, I think I think it's it's a little bit of everything. You know, you have these brands, the brands closing are brands that just have seen struggles throughout the entire market, not just Madison Avenue. There have been brands, as I said, you know, my little intro have been able to reinvent themselves and really change their image and and change the direction of how they view their retail to make it work. And it is working. So it's a reflection of retail, which we, I think we've heard a lot, um, you know, in our conversations, mm-hmm. um, this one and, and other ones. Um, and I like to hear about kind of the space hopping, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's there's still a demand. So it's time to we, we always ask a guest, our guests to bring a snack. Um, it's a way of getting to know each other, breaking bread. Um, often the snack reflects uh, where and what you do, which is always exciting. So it's a great way to uh, get to know you. This is our first double snack this is our first double snack which is also very exciting (laughs) i'm pretty hungry (laughs) exactly Uh, matt you want to go first and then we'll sure okay Uh, well i uh, i brought croissants from san ambrose and uh, san ambrose uh, at 1000 madison avenue is and they have another location uh, just on 61st street if you open up the sunday times and you read about all the different social events that are happening around New York City, fundraisers for the society of everything. I almost can guarantee you that one of the breakfast meetings to discuss that event <laughs> mm-hmm. took place at San Ambrose. <laughs> so if you really want to see that ecosystem that makes the Upper East Side function, where the social folks buy their breakfast for their uh, for their big events – then go to the events at one of the museums that are nearby or whether they're cultural institutions or hospitals, and then buy the outfits that they wear for those events right on Madison Avenue. It all takes place there. So uh, these croissants represent the full-fledged ecosystem of the Upper East Side. Amazing. Amazing. I'm excited. Corey? So – couple of reasons why I want it. One, Whole Foods. We're, these are a bunch of baked goods from Whole Foods. Not only because it was around the corner and very easy to get to, but more <laughs> importantly, because Whole Foods, I think, is a really good representation of kind of where retail is right now. With Amazon's purchase of it, I think it really shows kind of, one, I think where food is going. You know, Whole Foods has prided itself over kind of the next level shopping, more, you know, local source on a mass scale, which I think is really important to people, I think has really played a part of their success. But on the other hand, where Amazon has integrated their whole technological system, you know, their delivery, their prime, you get the prime benefits, you know, one day, you know, you can order off Amazon and go pick it up at Whole Foods. It's the true integration of massive tech and brick and mortar retail that I think is what is where retail is heading. 
Awesome. Amazing. And great. we have a lot of big goods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, never, never a bad thing. Of course. <laughs> Up next, you'll hear Matt and Corey discuss reselling on Madison Avenue, new brands coming to Madison Avenue, and the future of Madison Avenue. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. Is Madison Avenue open to reselling? Because it seems like, you know, people really want things firsthand. It can be a really sensitive issue. I've had my own run-ins trying to bring in resellers and some of who you might think would be their partners, um, you know, it raised some hair on their backs. You know, one thing to keep in mind about luxury products is that they are made to last. And we actually want to think about fashion and sustainability. You know, that's really a core value of the luxury brands that you find on Madison Avenue is that they are making products that are made to last and oftentimes for multiple generations. In terms of the resale market, you know, Madison has had decades and decades of experience as being a place for consignment goods. Brands like Michael's, uh, La Boutique Resale, that have been around for multiple generations, family-owned businesses. And they've been largely in the northern part of Madison, north of 79th Street, sometimes on second floor locations. In the last few years, and actually in the last year, you're now getting businesses that are not consignment, but actually of buying the product and then reselling it. So what goes around comes around, which opened this year on 67th Street. And the Real Real, mm -hmm. which has opened up also this year at 70th and Madison, uh, you'll also find jewelry and watch brands that are in that case. You know, we are doing for New York City Jewelry Week, which is taking place in, no in November, a program called Vintage Goes Modern. And we're going to be highlighting the uh, vintage jewelry brands that are on Madison Avenue, brands like Fred Layton, which is wow. iconic at 67th Street or 66th Street in Madison Avenue, that uh, if you go watch the Academy Awards, if they're wearing a vintage piece, most likely that actor or actress uh, is uh, wearing a piece from Fred Layton. So it is part of the core of this street that we do have brands that sell vintage, that sell consignment, that sell multiple wares of the same product. Yeah, but consignment is now like a whole new huge industry. I mean, like you were saying, small family consignment shops to what goes around, comes around to the real rail, et cetera, are now huge in many cases, online businesses that have now come brick and mortar. Do you see that trend continuing? And I'm wondering, well, one, there's probably some conflict, some channel <laughs> conflict, maybe healthy. But two, do you see that trend happening with some of these larger online, it doesn't have to be consignment, but online stores now coming brick and mortar? Well, Is Madison Avenue an appeal? Well, I think, I think it is because there's a couple of aspects of it. One, uh, a huge aspect of the, the consignment, the resale is the vintage. People like vintage and vintage is vintage to modern is a very hot trend, especially right now. People like to have those vintage Louis Vuitton bags, vintage Gucci, vintage wear. And that's what resale is very popular right now is people buying those vintage items that you may not be able to buy 
at the the branded store. You know, when you buy a new Prada handbag, when you buy a new Louis Vuitton tote, it's not because it broke, right? It's because you like the new style. Because as Matthew said, they're meant to last. And you know, part of a luxury product is the craftsmanship and the quality of the build. There, you know, you can take the bag anywhere. You take a Goyard bag and throw it, you know, <laughs> take it on the plane. You see people travel with them all the time, not because they're expensive in the look, because they're durable and they really, you know, I hate to use the word durable when kind of talking about luxury, <laughs> but the truth is, is true. it's true. I mean, they're made very well. The product is made from you know, handmade, from the best leather in the world. You know, there's a reason why people use them as, as day bags. You know, they are, you know, you, you're going to pay a nice price for them, but you're going to use it. So in the vintage aspect of it, it's made well, you know, it's going to last and it looks great because you're channeling a look from an era that is so popular right now. So in terms of, you know, I think the resale market, obviously in balance with modern stores is a good thing because you can highlight the brand's history and the heritage and you can reinforce that to the consumer that you're not only buying the brand because you like the look and, you know, you like to be able to to have that, you know, the presence and the prestige. But the true history of a heritage luxury brand is is something that's incredible. Like Dior is, is so strong right now because I think, you know, they're not as much catering to the modern design. You have these houses that aren't, you know, they have modern look and modern design, but they still go back to the same root of historical fashion house. And I think that your resale and your consignment shops add value to that because you can show the evolution of the brand as well. And it's interesting because I think there's this idea, not necessarily outside of Madison Avenue, but that millennials are pushing this idea of sustainability and reusing things and, um, you know, the way that they're shopping and that they probably have a better appreciation for it than even some some older folks. I don't know how many millennials are living on the um, in Madison Avenue in that district, but it, I think we'd probably all be surprised. So seeing that trend continue, you know, I think is I mean, um, It is New important. York. It's the Upper East Side. So family, exactly, residential, exactly. You, have, you have your millennial shopper, whether they're living in their parents' apartment or just living on the Upper East Side because we're in New York and Madison Avenue is one of the, you know, the wealthiest zip codes in, in America. And, and I think sustainability does play a part in it. I think like everything today, it's a multi-headed factor. You know, there's a lot of different aspects at play, sustainability, prestige, being able to have a vintage look or, or being able to buy something that lasts, that can look good, but also, you know, that you're going to be able to get your use out of, because I think a lot of people really do play a part in that, you know, reusing looks, you know, mixing it up with your accessories, you know, your, I say in the men's side as well, you know, as business gets more casual, it opens up the door to that men's fashion world because, you know, you're not wearing a, a blue, gray, black suit to work every day. You really can change it up and have more agency and, and control over what you wear. So you want to look good and want to, you know, have the best product you can buy. And I think that, you know, whether it's resale, whether it's it's new sale, resale, you know, consignment, people are, are concerned about sustainability. I think they're concerned where the product comes from, the quality of it. And I think that that is more prevalent than ever. And I think a part of it is a millennial thing, but it's maybe where the world's going now. Yeah, agreed. We want to still live on the planet for a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, um, you know, there's a lot of talk and, you know, Madison Avenue, I think probably is reflecting to both of your points of, you know, the retail world at large. What's new? And you guys have talked about a lot of different brands that's coming to Madison Avenue and how is it being received and you might not have to go as far as how well they're doing, but I know of some new brands. Um, I was fascinated by them. Um, I'd love to hear from from your perspective. Well, I think there's both. It's new and reinvented. 
So like Moschino just came back to Madison Avenue. I believe they're on. And they reinvented themselves. They totally changed their look. They have a beautiful store, like insane branding. And I think it's it's their new brands like Orla Bar Brown just announced at the Carlisle they're coming and Ramey Brook. Ramey Brook. Ramey Brook was here and they now they came to the at 980. You know, you have new brands seizing the opportunity, you know, the opportunities that present, you know, I'd say that. The difference between new and old is maybe how they view retail. I think, as I, as we said, brands are changing their look and changing their outlook on brick and mortar. And I think that your your startup, call them your more or young brands, view retail as that marketing play. And, and you have your more houses who are getting into that mindset, but they come into it, whether it's a pop-up, whether it's, it's a, a year-long lease, there's more creativity in how they use that time in the space to best market themselves and you know touch the consumer. The trends of of digital coming to brick and mortar and then pop up. Mm. Are those trends that are being embraced or are they trends that you're just keeping a really close eye and we'll see how this plays out? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example of two pop-ups that became permanent on Madison Avenue. Uh, one is Francis Valentine, which opened up at uh, Madison Avenue and 67th last winter. It's amazing. I feel like uh, I can give you guys an address. And I know. I agree. I see some mentals. We can probably tell you the history <laughs> of each, sure each location that over the decade. And they were a temporary spot. They actually closed for the summer mm-hmm. to move to the Hamptons. Now they've come back and they're saying we're permanent which is fantastic store called Mackage, which is at 816 Madison Avenue opened up originally as a pop-up. And now that's a, it's a uh, outerwear brand. Montreal based. There I think. you go. Yep. Right. Okay. Uh, they are, they are permanent. So you definitely see brands that are here that tested the market and have, uh, have chosen to stay. So, you know, there is a change overall in the retail marketplace where there's shorter term leases that affect I think you know the the, the older perception of only a 10 year lease but uh, which are still happening like crazy on that it's still happening but uh, it's still there is there is a slight difference that you're seeing as well I think pop-ups are are appealing to people because you don't have the long-term commitments but also you know we're seeing a change I think in you know Retail in general is obviously seeing a change, but the way retailers lay out stores, you know, the technological aspects of that, I think, is really playing a part in pop-ups as well as just store layouts. Like we talk about Calvin Klein, they closed, you know, the entire collection, you know, aspect of their business, but they were in a massive store. I mean, that that store is four floors, you know, very big, you know, expensive. It costs them, you know, a lot to operate it. And now, you know, with new tech, you know, being able to understand, you know, how much stock you need to keep in, in a store and, and your layouts, you know, I think that definitely plays a part where the smaller store is, is still king. And, you know, people aren't taking massive stores anymore for many reasons. People do still take large, you know, large flagships like Hermes, as I said. But the brands coming, I think a part of the reason why they go to, you know, the 70s, your your newer brands are really going up to that, you know, 72nd Street and above Zimmerman just opened on uh, right. 900 in the old Calypso space and, you know, you have more coming is because people can lay out stores much differently now than they used to, because, you know, part of it is the, the human interaction, being able to have that connection with your consumer, but also, you know, 
the efficiency of it. People are very conscious about efficiency of shopping now and, and how much stock and how much, you know, how where you lay out the men's and the women's collections of things. For pop-ups, I think it's a, a similar thing. It's it's utilizing the marketing of a space, maybe, you know, wanting to test out a market. That's what we see a lot is the pop-up to permanent. You do leases, you know. The terminology that we use in, in, in the brokerage side of the business is changing, right? Long-term, short-term, pop-up. It's all very... Is pop-up a term that brokerage is? Definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, you can call it a short-term. You can call it a pop-up. I usually see a pop-up as anything from like a couple of weeks to a year. And then when you get to a year to three years, that's a short-term. But now a longer-term has not been a five-year or a 10-year. Now you've kind of gone down to a five-year sometimes consider a long-term a gray area <laughs> i debate with some of the clients about oh is this a pop-up is this a short term i say no 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 it's a long term do it it's a good you know it's a good thing i think there are two mindsets some brands want to test the market see how they can best utilize a retail space so they'll do a pop-up for a couple weeks maybe over holiday because they want to showcase a collection maybe because they want to you know product release um, holiday shopping as i just said just test the market so they'll do a pop-up with maybe an option in the lease to go permanent because as rents have fallen, there is opportunity right now. And I don't have a crystal ball and it's hard to predict the future of where rent is going because I don't even want to go there. <laughs> but, you know, I don't want to. But, you know, I don't know. Could go up, could go down. But you have a good rent right now, half of what it was at the height of the market, where you can lock in a 10-year deal at a very favorable terms. And not only just rent, you know, landlords are, you know, a lease is much more creative. It used to be just a plain, you know, a couple months security or maybe more and, and 10 years. Maybe you get a couple months rent-free time to build your store. But now, you know, to entice retailers to go into, you know, a long-term space, the landlords are making investments into the deals as well. You have TI, and I'm sure you're seeing as Warby Parker, especially, especially with, with more notable brands. As I said, everyone reads the same papers. So everyone, you know, they come, I get, I get the retail apocalypse, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I, get, I don't believe him. But, but, you know, you get that. And, you know, it means that, you know, tenants want more. So you're going to have deals with TI packages, cash, you know, cash from landlords, rent-free time. The landlord may build out the store for you. You know, there have been, you know, deals where to entice someone to maybe come from, you know, upper to lower Madison or to really, you know, if you have a space that you really want rented to a high-end brand, they'll, they'll do a lot for them. I think there is a lot of creative underwriting going on now. And it's actually really, I think, refreshing to see, you know, we started this conversation with how iconic Madison Avenue is um, in this particular corridor, but that it's really kind of following some of the trends of, of just really what's happening in retail. And, you know, landlords have to do all kinds of different things to entice folks to come. And I think that might become the new normal. We're also a country that's Hugely over-retailed, so there's a lot of space out there. Um, I don't think there's a ton of vacancy on Madison, so I think it's kind of a musical chairs, as you guys are 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 showing. Well, you said something really pivotal there, which um, this is you don't have to go out too far over your skis, but, you know, what is the, the future of Madison Avenue? Um, you know, five years, 10 years, 50 years? Really crystal ball. <laughs> um, personally... I, I see Madison as there is and will always be Madison Avenue. I, I, it's going to be it'd be very hard for me to see that street go dark and and you know people not remember it to be the most you know one of the most iconic shopping streets you know in in the U.S. or the world. But I think like the change in retail, it's experience. 
And, you know, you have retailers opening experiential retail stores. I think meatpacking is a really good example of this. But when we talk about experiential retail, I like to view it as more of a neighborhood thing. It's it's not just an experiential retail store. It's an experiential retail neighborhood. Soho, meatpacking, you know, even Fifth Avenue. It's different uses coming together to really almost work together to, to change and reinvent an area. So like meatpacking is a great example where you have beautiful stories, you know, uh, Laura Piano, Hermes, you know, fantastic luxury retailer, but it's sprinkled in with restaurants, with experiential, with the Whitney, with the Highline. You know, Samsung has that massive experiential retail store. The restoration hardware. Restoration yeah. hardware. The castle. Amazing. The, yeah. <laughs> the restaurant up top. It's Madison Avenue in the future, I think, is going to be a more diverse marketplace where you have maybe some more food options, maybe some more experiential options. Because I think truly the best way to to make an area as as you know prolific and as strong as maybe meatpacking or Soho is is that that diversification of uses and of reasons to go, reasons to be there. I mean, thinking about Madison Avenue, you know, restaurants, food options are a little scarce. I mean, you have the residents as as Matthew said. You know, it's very interesting because Madison Avenue is one of those streets where you look upstairs and you see the residents. And, you know, those residents are going to eat at the same three restaurants every night. You know, you're going to Bill Bouquet, you're going to Bar Italia, you're going to, to Amaranth and a couple others. You know, your food options are, are a little scarce. Where do you buy milk? You know, a lot of people don't have to think about that on Madison Avenue, but there is, is something to be said about that. I think... Genteel. Genteel, exactly. <laughs> any good Marche Madison. Marche Madison. Any like, good, uh, no, no good bodegas? Marche. I like Mar- I'm a fan <laughs> of Marche. Marche and, and Gentile's multiple generations, yes. three generation <laughs> family owned, have just moved to a new location, three generation family owned business where you can buy every grocery <laughs> item that you would wish. Matt, do you look to other areas like meatpacking and Soho and say that that's the direction things will go, need to go, or is it just like there's different areas of New York and they'll all have their diversity? Well, you know, we do we talk to the folks at Meatpacking. You know, we have a, we have a New York City Bid Association. We're all seventy six business improvement districts come together every month to discuss issues, and we all we I think we all have a, a lot of cooperation <laughs> where we work together uh, on on variety of different events and programming to strengthen our respective quarters. And you know, you are seeing luxury brands and brands that are on Madison Avenue at other locations and other spots in the city. You know, when I started working on Madison Avenue, which was 20 years ago, the story was that the uptown stores, meaning the traditional luxury brands, heritage brands, were moving downtown. (laughs) That was the story. Well, now you're seeing the opposite story where you're seeing brands that started in places like Soho or in other spots in lower lower parts of Manhattan open up locations on the Upper East Side, on our street. And I can give you examples of that from Lafayette 148, uh, which just opened up a couple of months ago. Iconically uh, downtown with the name. Yeah, Lafayette 148. <laughs> Acne Studios. I mean, stores that are very have that very much of a downtown aesthetic. They're coming up, and but you ask them why are they doing it, and I think it comes back to what you discuss, we discussed at the very beginning of the show, is that there is a loyal, local, Upper East Side market. That when it all comes down to it, 
are the core clients of virtually every one of these luxury brands. So, you know, if you ask, where is the street going? And I, I think that there is going to be a new retail marketplace in the luxury sector. And that's why you're seeing these brands that are coming alongside the Chanel's and the Hermes's of the world that are heritage brands. I mentioned Ralph Lauren, which, by, by the way, built a cafe <laughs> in their store. Right. Uh, uh, Mark Jacobs, which has a cafe mm-hmm. in their store. But anyway, these... Um, these heritage brands are working alongside newer brands in the luxury retail marketplace, but ultimately, that local client is what matters. And I think that what Madison Avenue is going to continue to embrace that. That is our niche in the marketplace. And you know, we do have five hotels in our district, and I, and I mentioned them. And and you know, we think of them. Well, that's the visitor market. Yes and no. Because the folks that are staying at the Carlisle, the folks that are staying at the Lowell, the Mark, it's the folks that when they come to New York, they stay at the Lowell. When you come to the New York, you stay at the Plaza Athene. These are their addresses in New York City for the folks that are coming in from other places. And that's why the hotel concierge community is so important, is so key to our marketing and efforts, uh, promotional efforts, is because they recommend those businesses there and because they know what is important locally. That connection to neighborhood, that connection to the you know cultural institutions that are here really are what the key components are that makes Madison Avenue not a transient location, but more one of of permanence. And, uh, you know, that's emphasized by our historic district regulations that are here. You know, we are within a Upper East Side historic district. It it has to do with the institutions that are here. And uh, you'll see, continue seeing that in the future. I think the hotels are a very good point, too. Not only as places to stay for tourists, but some of the, you know, the aspects of what the hotels have. I mean, the Carlisle with Bemelman's Bar, which is an absolute staple of Madison Avenue and the Upper East Side. You go to Bemelman's every night and it's packed. And it's not packed with tourists. It's packed with local. Right. You go to the Mark, you know, the bar there, same thing, as well as the Surrey. You, know, you have the uh, Daniel Ballou restaurant. These are local hotspots because of just you know, what they have as well. And I think they attract those people. It's, uh, it's a local street. So interesting. I think again, I think the image is that it's mm-hmm. it's not, um, and that it really. I love hearing that it's a a true neighborhood. And the restaurants too. I think um, you know the Lowell just opened Majorelle, which is beautiful, and then they just you know they had that big renovation. They really renovated it into something special, and those you know with that aspect of food and experience, you know, Bemelman's Bar is one of my favorites in the city, and I think it's just it's iconic. It's it's somewhere you want to be, and and you're you're in that local community, and you know. You go make a day out of it. You go shop. You go. You go eat. You go shop again. And, and you know, same thing. It's it's really the shopping day still exists. Whether you're coming from the Met Broyer, coming from the Met, going to have a have dinner at you know Flora Bar, which is doing very well, as I understand, it's very you know well reviewed, etc. It's just it's an ecosystem is the best way to say it. And it's how those brands leverage the ecosystem, I think is why you know, you're having new downtown come uptown because you can leverage that ecosystem and, and, you know, people reinventing themselves with Ralph's coffee is a really good example of that making a neighborhood you know, homestay. Because even if you sell one cup of coffee and they go upstairs and buy, you know, one dress, it's working. 
if you're capturing a consumer by a very good product like that with a with a good experience like that, it's working. I think a lot of brands are, are shifting that. Mark Jacobs, I mean, um, Armani announced they're going to do the Casa above it with apartments, et cetera. People are really playing into, you know, leveraging the ecosystem. We've talked a lot about Madison Avenue. We're going to go uh, even deeper and uh, find out some personal history, both about Matt and Corey next. Hi, I'm Roseanne Gold. I'm a chef, an author, a food writer, and the host of a new podcast called One Woman Kitchen. So excited to be doing this because I'm interviewing the most fascinating women in the food world. And you don't even have to be interested in the food world or be part of it to enjoy these remarkable women's stories. It's diverse, it's international, it's intergenerational. What's most exciting to me is that the concept of one woman kitchen means something different for everyone. You can listen to One Woman Kitchen every week at onewomankitchenshow.com and also where all the best podcasts can be found. So, Corey, I think we know your favorite bar. Yeah. <laughs> Matt. You mentioned that you live in Forest Hills. So favorite restaurant, bar, spot in all of Queens. Oh. If you're going to go, this is the spot. This uh, is in, like is in Queens? Food? Ideally food. Uh, D's on D's. Metropolitan Avenue in Forest Hills. It's uh, been around for 20, gosh, maybe 25, 30 years uh, on Metropolitan Avenue. And a famous brick oven pizza place. And then right next to it, is a place called Eddie's Sweet Shop, which uh, has been also around for maybe 70 or 80 years, multi-generation family-owned ice cream parlor. You feel like you're stepping back in time, homemade ice cream downstairs, and both places are just neighborhood gathering spots. Yeah, I figured you live families. in Queens. There's going to be a spot. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, Queens the food. food. There's yeah. going to be something you're going <laughs> to recommend. Corey, favorite dive bar? In New York. I know, because we went really high end. end, Wow, that's a tough one. I used to have this one called Radio. It was right across from White Horse Tavern on a Hudson Street. Oh, I absolutely know what you're talking about. WXOU Radio. It's just like a classic, you know, New York dive bar. But I liked it with the West Village is that you got the arts crowd. You got, you know, it was a true mix of people because, you know, I just moved out of the West Village, as I said, I'm still torn about, but. it was really the epitome of what I view New York as, is you have a dive bar where you're talking like four or $5 drinks, but you have artists, you have writers, you have people writing at the bar, which where do you see that anymore? Like uh, you have people talking about plays and politics all in the same time. It was just, a, it was a small kind of crammed little bar where you could just see everything in the true epitome of New York. My definition of that bar is Nancy Whiskey in Tribeca on Lisbonard Street, Lisbonard and 6th Avenue. Oof, it is, you can go at 11 that. o'clock in the morning, there'll be some people sitting at the bar <laughs> and the drink Drinks. You did not use the human quotation marks, but the voice said it all. A lot of buybacks at Nancy Whiskey (laughs) for the $4 shots of vodka that you're going to get. Are either of you native New Yorkers? I sensed two in one room. Oh, boy, we don't get this that often. That, I think, certainly lends itself to who you are and what you went into. What part of New York? I was born on the Upper West Side. Um, I actually grew up in England, though. I moved to England when I was 10 and then went to high school and university there. I moved back here after that and was uh, working here in the city. 
Once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker. Had to come back. Uh, Forest Hills? No. Oh. Uh, from Brooklyn. <laughs> nice. I grew up Good in answer. Coney I, I grew up in Coney Island. Went to New York City Public Schools. Uh, and, I have uh, a follow up question then. Yes. <laughs> Tacono's or L and B Spimoni Garden? L and B. hundred percent L and B. Really? Yes. L and B uh. is L and B is uh, <laughs> the square uh, pizza. You're a little scared uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago when they closed for a bit, right? Yep. Yeah, they closed down. Oh, yeah. little, um, little, like, I didn't hear taxi. that. Yeah, the oh, mayor I had to that. get it. Yeah, right mayor got Oh no, that's not L and B. No, that was oh, that was uh, that was Defara. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, L and B is on 86th Street Excuse in Brooklyn, me. and uh, no, 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 they didn't close. Said so they're opening up an L and B in my neighborhood in Dumbo, which is ridiculous because really? there's like six uh, uh. pizza shops already, <laughs> and then they're going to throw an L and B Spumoni Gardens in there. That's amazing. It's, it's sacrilege. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, but okay, but well. well We'll see how that goes. We'll see yeah. how it goes. But, <laughs> no, you know, listen, the f- it, it is great stuff and uh, great gathering spot. You have to have the outdoor tables, too. Absolutely. And, uh, and the Spumoni. And the Spumoni. So, but, you know, don't, don't discount the regular sit-down restaurant. It is fantastic. I mean, they have a real, if you like, good, good tomato sauce. I actually, food. when I go to L&B, good. I try and go to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, so, good, uh, good. I'm totally with you. But I'm a Totono's guy. Oh, so okay. um, curious though. So growing up in Coney Island, you must have seen a lot of change now mm-hmm. from from then until now. Yeah, so yeah, it must uh, be a big transformation for you. Well, yeah, my family still lives there oh, in good. Coney Island, and uh, there's still a couple of spots that, that has gone through some changes. And uh, but if uh, you want to still feel real Coney Island, go to the uh, Wonder Wheel. Mm. Make sure you're on one of the cars that move. Got it. Uh, make sure you can smell the grease for where they're using to lubricate the uh, yep. the gears, and you could still feel that. And then the, the uh, also uh, Nathan's, you know, you could still get uh, the proper grilled hot dog. You know, there's Nathan's around the country. I guess at your every airport, the French fries when they are uh, uh, in that same grease with the ocean air <laughs> makes all the difference, and uh, makes so it even yes. saltier. Hey, exactly. <laughs> so that that's really uh, that's really it. Yeah. Love to hear final thoughts from you all, and certainly listeners um, would love to hear how to get in touch with you. Uh, so if you can give us uh, both of those, that would be fantastic. So uh, it's, uh, once again, it's been a real pleasure being on the show with you all. It was a, a fun conversation. I look forward to continuing it. Uh, we can be reached at uh, our website, which is madisonavenuebid.org. And uh, I just want to uh, mention that uh, we're doing a, a wonderful holiday event, our 33rd annual, now think of that, 33rd annual Miracle on Madison Avenue, which is a fundraiser for the pediatric programs of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Our stores are donating 20% of their sales that day. We always have about 75, 80 stores participating in that program and it really shows that connectedness that the retailers have in the community that year after year they can make that contribution and to a charity that's so important to in our neighborhood and Sloan Kettering, like Madison Avenue, is a local institution, but also has an international following. And uh, I just, uh, just invite you all to come visit the street. Thanks for having me. It was a great to talk about the avenue. Um, you can find us, you know, the Faith Consolo team at Douglas Hellman Real Estate. We've got the Instagram handle, got the website, all over. 
I think that uh, this avenue, as I said, will always be iconic. I think there may be change. You know, I think you're going to see some more experiential aspects of, you know, retail come along. I think Ralph's Coffee is a good, you know, kind of start to that, showing how these houses are really viewing every aspect they possibly could. I'm sure Hermes is going to do maybe something similar. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's Hermes, so I don't want to. Hermes Cafe? Maybe. I mean, it is Hermes, so I don't want to. I got no crystal ball on that, but I know whatever they're going to do there is going to be truly incredible. And I think it's it will always be one of the most iconic streets in the world. Absolutely. Corey, thank you. Amazing insight. Thank you for having me. Matt, thanks so much for being here. It's an honor to be here. Pleasure to meet all of you and to uh, to talk about the street that we care about so much. Thanks so much. And uh, Chris, thanks so much. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.